This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC on location, California, with my new friend from Santa Monica, entrepreneur Shauna Ryder. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Pete. Happy to be here. Awesome. So you are officially part of the Halo sector through helping people feel and look better. So let's talk about Alaya and uh, tell us about your personal uh, frustrations that have uh, evolved into a thriving business. I love that. I love that uh, introduction. You know, it's true. I think solving a problem is how most successful businesses are started, as you and I were just discussing. And for me, the problem was one of depletion and a history of really severe autoimmune disease. I had been down some pretty scary roads in my youth um, that were not unfortunately resolved through the pharmaceuticals recommended by doctors. And there was um, a little bit of a crazy hunt for me over the course of about two years uh, in terms of finding resolve um, for both what is called a leukopenia, it's, it's or neutropenia. There's different ways of um, categorizing it, but you know, I was born with a body that just doesn't produce a normal number of white blood cells. In addition to that, I tested positive for Crohn's disease when I was 14 um, and simultaneously was battling parasites. So there were a lot of variables with overlapping symptoms um, that my body was not uh, unfortunately able to overcome naturally. And so I was seeking you know, medical advice and the prescriptions just weren't working. And so eventually I got off prednisone and acicol and all of the Western pharmaceuticals and went down a more holistic, uh, naturalistic route. I turned to Chinese herbs, uh, homeopathic medicine, acupuncture, and primarily nutrition, um, slowing my body down, cultivating what I now understand as a, a meditation practice uh, or mindfulness. But at the time, you know, whether or not it was categorized as such, I wasn't aware of it. I was only 15, but, you know, 14 kind of transitioning to 15, but basically listening to my body and understanding the cues and recognizing that when I eat certain things, I don't feel great the next day or even within hours. If I don't sleep enough, I'm cranky and mm -hmm. everything feels inflamed. Um, you know, so I ended up on a really beautiful path ultimately in my late teens. But then after having my second child, uh, after 24 months, um, in my thirties, I found myself once again, really struggling to feel inspired and vibrant alive, awake, all of the things we want to wake up every day feeling. And so I decided to once again, um, return to the sort of medicinal practices of my youth, which were really cultivating mindfulness around eating and nutrition and understanding that my physical needs had changed drastically. You know, since I was a teenager, I was now the mother of two children. I'd been breastfeeding consecutively, you know, for years. Mm -hmm. I, I went from breastfeeding one child directly into childbirth and breastfeeding my second. And um, I began to do intensive research um, into what my body required at that stage, that point in my life. And really was pretty dissatisfied with the, <laughs> with the finding. I, was, I, I felt like nothing I was eating was satiating me. I, I still lacked energy. 
And so uh, as any new breastfeeding mother understands, there's really not enough to consume. <laughs> like you, everything is being stripped. Pounds of minerals, you know, are being stripped from your body by the baby. And you're of course recovering from childbirth simultaneously. And so I um, started investigating powders, protein powders, different kinds of collagens, and um, didn't feel physiologically like my body was transforming the way I was hoping it would or responding in, you know, in the way of feeling the, the kind of energy I was seeking. So my initial concept was to start a line for new mothers and for breastfeeding women. And then I decided I wouldn't be in that stage for the rest of my life. So I wanted to create nutrition um, that would sustain me indefinitely. And I began my company, Alaya Naturals, really based on a very strong desire to not only have the energy that I required to do all the other things that I was, you know, um, ex wanting to pursue in my life, um, like music and singing and things I had done professionally in the past, um, but to not also slip back into a, a place of being unwell, um, which had been, you know, my story in my youth when I had overlooked, you know, all of the signals and, and really sort of trauma trampled, you know, the signs that it was time to slow down and properly feed myself emotionally and physiologically. Got it. Well, that's a, that's a great summary and, and, and journey and congrats on getting to this point of not only self-awareness, but, you know, self-natural medication must feel good to be able to, to achieve. Um, as you were going down that path, did you seek out beside your personal research um, any nutritionists or naturopathic doctors or, um, of course. And, and, mm -hmm. and then as part of that, did you, was there a part of you that was always like, you know what, maybe what's out there isn't whatever's obvious is not the answer. You know, actually I have to kind of go deeper to, to actually find it because obviously there's products that have doctors that market those products. Right. Uh, how did you get to I guess, a state of clarity to say, hey, no one's trying to sell me anything, um, <laughs> you know, or like become an yeah. evangelist for yeah. something. Right. How, how did that, how, yeah. how did you kind of get to that awakening? Right. I guess? Well, my starting point was one of distrust, which I suppose right. fueled part of my passion and really, you know, pursuing a clean, uh, well-sourced ingredients that I felt, you know, I, I could trust. I think that when you have in the past experienced healing through nutrition, you understand the difference between pure quality ingredients and, um, you know, those kind of marketing, um, you know, companies marketing uh, products that are uh, clever and strategic in the ways they're presenting, mm -hmm. but that actually aren't having an effect. Um, and that's something that took a lot of time and practice. And there are kind of two components of that for me. One is the research, which is, you know, who's, who's, whose agenda is it that I'm, right. that I'm sort of vying into? What is their mission? What's their purpose? What do they have to gain from this? Um, you know, and do and who are they associated with? Right. So, um, you know, when you're looking at farming practices and when you're looking at, you know, entrepreneurs and you, you know, every sort of facet of, of what goes into creating nutrition, understanding the relationships among people are so important because if there's a big profit to be gained, 
um, you know, then sometimes quality can be overlooked, you know, and there's also, of course, um, you know, marketing gimmicks, like saying that something is natural, um, which I at one point thought meant organic and sustainably sourced and environmentally conscious and all of those things and fair trade and yada yada and which I now understand means nothing but the word natural and um and so sort of peeling back the curtains and the layers and, and understanding that um you do have to do a, a deeper level of uh you know research to understand where something is sourced how it's created who's marketing it and why um, in addition to that, then of course, just having your own personal experience of consuming, you know, the mm -hmm. nutrition and saying like, do I actually feel different? You know, my, does my skin look, um, you know, more alive? Am I brighter? Is, is my cognition sharper? Like how am I, you know, what's the effect on this, uh, you know, physically, and am I really tapping into it? And by the way, you know, I think that placebos are, can be very effective, <laughs> but over time they wear off. Right. right. Like, right. so, well, I was ahead. in the, I was in the Vons the other day, uh, and I was tasked with, uh, getting, uh, bone broth, uh, and I came <laughs> home and I, with this mission. I thought I, I thought I, my, my fiance tasked <laughs> okay. me with that. So I came back and I was like all yeah. excited cause I got the natural bone broth right. and I was quickly reprimanded and understand sure. that it was not the organic bone broth, which I personally difference. did not know the difference between right. even though. I'm supposed we to be running spoken the halo sector. Pete, you would have had a very I successful yeah, this, outing. Every, everything <laughs> in life's about timing, right? Uh, you would have, you would have saved me, uh, saved me a, a more positive trip to Vons. Yeah. Um, you know, as you, you've kind of explained some of the pitfalls in the industry right now. You know, I like to refer to the nutrition industry somewhat as a, in a state of confusion, mm -hmm. um, because I feel like every time I read a new article, it takes me down a different rabbit hole with a different vegetable that I should, you know, use as my primary source of protein right. or happiness. Only broccoli Rob 20, yeah, 20 exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, as I mentioned before, I'm a big spirulina, um, consumer so that, uh -huh. that I feel like no one's come out and said spirulina is bad for you. So I'm hoping that continues. <laughs> um, you know, but do you think the industry as a whole, you know, has the ability to, monitor itself or, or self-certify to, to make people understand what they're putting in their body. Because I think a lot of people right now are more focused on their health and mm -hmm. what they do digest and, and understand that this is fuel for your, for your body and your body mm -hmm. is a machine. However, they could be taking protein powder that's got way more in it that actually counters. Right. The, the effects of that or actually creates other side effects that they don't even know about because it's just too much confusion. Sure. Um, so do you have, do you have hope? Are we just going to evangelize this until, you know, hopefully the message gets across? How, how do you view? Well, there's so many different aspects to the question you're asking. And I, you know, we could have four hour conversation on this question alone. I mean, let's start on a macro level with American politics and law. Um, it's problematic in regards to food because of labeling. Um, labels can be extremely misleading. Um, companies are often not required to print things on label that they should be required to print, including, like you said, you know, potentially toxic ingredients, um, ingredients that are contradicted, you know, contraindicated with other ingredients, the possibility that uh, a product you know, 
it doesn't actually consume a concentrated enough amount of an ingredient to actually be beneficial. Um, and that's misleading a lot of the time that people think that they're consuming something that's a big superfood, which it may be technically if you, you know, eat four pounds of it in one sitting, um, but that isn't concentrated enough in a product because it would be too expensive, um, to process that way. Um, there's the law. I mean, even the term organic, as we know, doesn't mean 100% organic. You know, you can grow organic produce that then is allowed to be transported with a blanket that's laden with uh, pesticides. Um, and of course, transport takes, I, I think organic technically has to be and. and and please don't quote me on this. I may be incorrect. And certainly uh, I'm sure things have evolved since I checked this stat, but at a certain point, organic meant 70% organic. So it wasn't even a hundred percent organic. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, product, uh, you know, is in transport for days at a time and then unpacks in a grocery store where they're on supermarket shelves for days at a time before they're in their fridge for days at a time before they're right. consumed. And they're also grown in soil by and large. Um, that's not mineral rich the way it was when our grandparents, you know, were eating off the land, living off the land. And so, um, you know, and of course there's the environmental toxins and pollutants that affect the way things are grown and farming practices are also not, by and large, I mean, this is not true for everyone, of course, but a lot of farming practices aren't doing the things they need to do um, to preserve the mineral, the integrity of the uh, minerals in the soil that, that are affecting the, the nutrient quantities in our food. So, uh, so that's point one. Um, okay. I don't know that we can fully ever understand what we're putting in our body, because unlike some other parts of the world, like Europe or New Zealand, we're not forced as a country to be as transparent. Okay. That's number one. Number two, there's the marketing game. People want to sell things. Um, and so the impetus to make money, unfortunately, often obscures um, and can sort of dictate the agenda of a company. Um, in terms of in terms of wanting you to believe whatever it is that will right. increase sales, right? So um, I feel like it's always the responsibility of a consumer. It doesn't matter what you're consuming, whether it's food or other products and you know household cleaning products or clothing or ideas or you know cultural trends, whatever it is you're consuming, it's ultimately your job as a consumer to do your due diligence and try to piece apart what's real and what's false, what is transparent and authentic and what um, you know is a facade. And to factor in a person's intentions and agenda, and again, their relationships, right? So if a person is, is, is owned by a company that has, you know, um, an agenda that may not be your wellness, then that's something right. important to note. You know, I'm trying to keep this incredibly vague, so I don't point fingers unnecessarily. Sure, but sure. Yeah, you we'll understand. point them for you. Don't worry about it. We'll handle that part. <laughs> We're, we're not shy about it. Okay. Uh, let me just one, one other uh, comment on, on this point. I, I actually just came off of watching a uh, documentary uh, called Seaspiracy uh, over the weekend on Netflix. Mm. And the documentary was about companies that provide labels to uh, seafood companies that say that there was no dolphins uh, or no other animals harmed, you know, during the fishing process. And then, Two hours later, uh, you realize that they, there's no proof that 
they've actually diligenced that right. label and they're just selling that label, you know, for marketing purposes. Is, is there a good housekeeping stamp of approval yet on natural versus organic or in certain industries? Well, one, you know, an, an FDA approval on something is not really what it used to be or what it, it should be as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Um, serving sizes, I'm not sure who they put that down for because I don't know the last time I right. put my Ben and Jerry's pint <laughs> back three times and it would constitute yeah. four servings. Um, <laughs> or when they sell a bag of, uh, you know, peanut uh, trail mix or what have you in the airport, you know, and someone's like, oh, you know, I ate healthy. It's like, well, actually, right, you know, right. you finish the entire bag and that's an eight serving size bag, you know, right. do the math on the grams of sugar. So is, is there any body is, you know, um, any organization that, that people are starting to lean to, to say, Hey, they actually have checked all this for us. Yeah. There's not one necessarily. There are a few that do you have show notes at the end of the podcast? Cause I can, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll put them all on there. I'll email you the names of a couple more credible ones, but ultimately, unfortunately, there's just a lot that we can't fully know. Um, you know, there are, like I said, I mean, especially when it, comes to cleaning products and stuff, they, they've actually gotten their act together a little bit more in terms of transparency. The food industry, is, it's, it's tough. It's a tough one. I mean, I'm a perfectionist and a little bit compulsive. And so I was driven to start my own company to avoid not trusting what I was eating. So it took, it took um, a company. You know, <laughs> That's probably like, the oh, hardest way to do it. how so. controlling I am. Right. Um, I actually have to, yeah, create an entire company to make sure that I'm eating clean. Uh, no, but my history of food is incredibly dimensional and textured and goes far beyond the scope of what we've discussed. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's been my salvation in many ways. And it's and it's also, of course, uh, as a woman growing up in Los Angeles, been a, you know, a source of stress at times. I think I think what we can do is only our best and we will drive ourselves absolutely nuts if we become overly consumed with fact checking and cross checking and you know people have jobs and families and lovers and lives and we we can't certainly spend all day you know microanalyzing the the contents of the peanut bag as much as I'd like to given my compulsive personality um, I'm constantly in the push and pull of letting go mm-hmm. and then you know back into analysis mode and then letting go and back into analysis mode. I've got two small kids. Right. My kids just turned four and six and I'm going through this with them because, you know, they, their little palettes are, are different than mine and their preferences. And, you know, I'm also in certain ways, you know, it's just that there are so many deep, fascinating psychological studies that could be done on parenting and kind of where we go mentally as parents when we're making certain kinds of decisions. Like I find myself wanting to give them foods that were comforting to me as a child that are completely inappropriate for their diets, given what I know now about nutrition. But I'm like, as a kid, I would watch the show and eat this amazing snack that had no nutritional value. And it felt really good for me. So maybe it will feel good for you. You know, there was a a Seinfeld uh, episode where he's like, you know, there was so much sugar in cereals. And the one that really spoiled it was when they put cookies 
it was just cookies. Yeah. And, just like and, little tiny chocolate chip, hard yeah, chocolate Those were the best. And he's like that. Those yeah. are the guys that ruined it for yeah. everyone because then you it really got can't so go back. what it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like it, yeah, yeah. it became very clear at that point that the, that was in fact a sugar cereal. I mean, listen, <laughs> when my son was, was two, he had never eaten cereal. And now I have six different kinds of cereal in my cabinet. So, you know, I've let go a lot and, you know, it's, I buy organic and gluten-free and blah, blah, blah. We make our own granola, but at a certain point, you know, like we have to live our lives. Yeah. Um, I tried making homemade granola bars for my kids. I don't like them. You know, right. like I've tried four or five different recipes. All right. So, well, we're not, we're not talking about your granola business here. So that's, yeah, this isn't right? my granola, but the point being, <laughs> the point being that there is a point at which we have to just let go of our standard of perfection and do our best, you know, and, and then enjoy our lives. Right. So, so let, let's pivot for a couple of minutes and talk about building a company, being, being an entrepreneur, being a mother, you know, obviously, I'm sure you see a number of companies that are in and around, you know, your product line that get venture capital money and private equity, and they're trying to kind of shoot for the moon. Um, mm -hmm. How do you kind of calibrate what kind of success you want to have? Um, you know, obviously, you could probably take your company and turn it into a group that that's backed by 10 or $20 million of venture capital or growth equity, you know, they'd probably put you on a, the fastest treadmill, um, you know, and, and, and have you work to, you know, at the end of the day, raise your two kids in Santa Monica, like you're already doing. And maybe you mm -hmm. say, Hey, look, I already got what I want. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm not interested in that part of the game. So how do you think about that? Or have you had the urge to do that? And how do you think about it? I have the urge to do it when there are snafus. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to bypass. Well, things aren't going well. I'd love for it to be part work, of someone else's you know, problem. When, yeah, when okay. eighty-five thousand labels don't have a barcode, welcome to my morning today. <laughs> um, so seriously, but I, you know, things go wrong all the time. But I'm not a fast girl, Pete. So I'm not interested in fast tracking anything. I, you know, you, it's always tempting to speed up you know, and to, to move faster and to develop products faster and to get things to market faster and to get bigger, you know, to, to expand, um, you know, your customer, uh, base faster and all of those things. And there's a lot of money to be made in nutrition and it's also highly competitive. And part of how I distinguish myself is that, um, my customers trust me. Like they yeah. know that when I put something out there, it has been scrutinized. I am scrupulous about my research. I'm consulting with doctors who are helping me formulate everything. I'm actually physically in the lab, testing, sampling, discussing things. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm not willing to in any way lessen my standard of integrity. So that has been a plus for me, you know, people who, who buy my products and, and consume my nutrition do so often indefinitely. Once they start, they don't stop because they do experience a difference. I, I feel like, you know, it, it really boils down to what your objective is and you know, what your agenda is. Mine is not to make as, as much money as I can, as quickly as I can. It is to, serve people and mm -hmm. to allow people to have the experience that they deserve in their lives of doing the things that are meaningful to them that they're meant to do on this planet. Like first and foremost, I'm a singer. Like I was a singer and songwriter for many years. I'm back in the studio in two weeks recording children's music. 
awesome. uh, now that I've got kids. And for me, this company and these products are what allow me to do all of these other things that I love and I'm passionate about. And I'm giving that gift to people every day. And when things get hard and when I have off days with the company, because, you know, everything that I've lined up just has fallen somehow through the cracks and things aren't working out. I constantly remind myself why I'm doing this and that ultimately every little nitty gritty aspect of a business from writing copy to literally putting stickers on, you know, um, container. I mean, there was a point early on in my company where my garage was my warehouse. I was shipping everything directly. I mean, we were going to, you know, we had, we were best friends with the UPS man. He was coming right. every day. Pro- I mean, this thing started, it was very grassroots. It's still an extremely small company, although I feel like we're doing prolific work. Um, but there was a stage where literally I was doing every single thing with my husband. I mean, we designed the labels ourselves. We didn't outsource at all. I was customer service. I still sometimes am because um, my assistant now will forward emails to me that are more personal in nature. And, you know, I respond directly back to customers. So there's a way in which I feel that I will be satisfied if I ever decide to move on from this business, knowing that I've done the, the very best I can for the people I'm serving and that every little moment that at times can feel like a distraction is in essence still serving the same goal just to mm-hmm. provide people with, you know, the lives that they deserve to live. Do you think that some of these companies get too big, get so far removed from the founder that they have an inability to understand that, you know, a customer or a member uh, is, is a human. And to give you an example, we, we work with a lot of health club chains and, you know, they sometimes look at the data and say, oh, we lost X amount of members or X amount of credit cards didn't get processed. It's like, well, the reason why people cancel is because you're not giving them an experience that they expected or something in their life change. And you don't know how to be a part of that change. So when you look at all the small businesses that are around, you know, most small businesses kind of wear their heart on their sleeve. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a personal connection. Do you see, uh, I mean, we're, we're in the finance side of this all the time. So we Mm -hmm. just see deals going on and we see money moving and, you know, backing concepts and backing product lines. Um, Do you see like that there's an inherent flaw in that? And at some point you might get too big unless you have an amazing culture. You know, if you lose the culture of a nutrition company, you basically lose the customer, I guess is what, I'm getting off my soapbox right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can't really speak for other companies and how they run their businesses. Um, because I don't know, I really try to focus on how I am feeling driven to run mine. What I know is that if you're too small, things also fall through the cracks. Like there was a point at which when I was personally and exclusively responsible for customer service under an alias name, um, I couldn't respond to everyone. I certainly didn't respond to people efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was problematic. And I felt not only personally badly about feeling like people were being ignored, um, but I was losing customers. So I think there's probably a balance where you want to be financed enough and, um, you know, have enough of an ecosystem that's, um, you know, (laughs) complex and efficient enough where you can have, you know, 
people who are assigned very specific tasks that make everything run smoothly and, and efficiently. But, you know, if you, if there's no soul or heart to the company, I, I see your point, which is that, you know, there is potentially some integrity lost. I think it depends on what the, the, the consumer is wanting from that experience. Like if I'm selling a great product um, as long as their needs are met either through the product or if they ask a question and they're responded to quickly by a customer service agent, you know, maybe that's enough for someone. Right. Um, someone else may want to really deeply understand the story of the founder of the company and, you know, feel more personally invested in um, the development of the company and, and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure is the answer. I think it probably varies from customer to customer to customer and also is influenced by how a company is choosing to market themselves and present themselves. Like if, if you're, if your demographic is pretty young and it's a, it's spicy and sexy marketing, you know, I might not require anything personal. I might just want, um, great, you know, ads on YouTube or, um, Facebook or Insta pictures that, you know, are compelling to me. There's really no personal element to that. If you've got like a young teenage intern, you know, posting for you, right? right. Right, so, sure, I, sure. So it's a you know, in other words, it's a complex answer to a to a question that could be handled differently by different companies. Yeah, no, it's great. That's a great point. Um, so, in closing, here, do you have any? I'm assuming you have a lot of quotes that you live by. Uh, sounds like you have a lot of quotes that you come up with. Uh, so, any uh, for our uh, for our audience here on how you approach life or business that we haven't officially covered. Uh, quotes. I don't know that I have any quotes, but what I will say is that I always listen to my deeper knowing and my instincts. And how I do that is ask myself to let fear take a break, take a nap, hmm. um, and really tune into what the part of me that sort of just instinctively knows is trying to communicate every single business decision and life decision that's gone wrong has been me overriding my instincts, um, mistrusting myself, questioning, um, my initial thought about something and bulldozing over it with analytics and cerebral, you know, analyses. And so I would say to anyone starting a company or just wanting to live authentically and purely, um, trust yourself, just trust your gut. And, um, and in order to do that, just let fear take a back seat for a minute. I like it. So Shauna, thanks for being on here thanks from trusting you. yourself to trusting Alaya naturals. We will put everything in the show notes. Look forward to seeing you at the Fairmont at one right. of our in-person events, bring your kids, bring your collagen and please bring me some spirulina. <laughs> awesome. I will do feet. All right. Awesome. Yes. Thanks for being on. I want to thank my friends at Burn B-R-R-R-N for sponsoring this podcast. They are the innovative company behind the world-renowned Burn Board. Many of you don't know, I was one of the top roller hockey players in all of Nassau County back in 1988 to 1990. If I had a burn board, watch out. I would probably be an NHL legend. Got a seven-day free trial on their on-demand library of hundreds of workouts, $30 off the purchase. 
check it out at shop.theburn.com. We'll have it in the show notes. Use the checkout code HALO and go burn it on the burn board. Ice hockey in your living room at home fitness. Low cost, low tech, low impact. Go Halo, burn it up.